Hi, this is Paul, and you're listening to Archonnect Sessions, episode 122. As many of our listeners know, we at Archonnect recently launched Ed, a quarterly print publication with each issue looking at a specific architectural theme. This week, we announced the release of our latest issue titled The Architecture of Disaster, which you can purchase right now at ed.archonnect.com. For today's show, I'm talking with Nicholas Carodi, Ed's editor-in-chief, to discuss this latest release. Nicholas discusses the conception of the theme and talks about some of his favorite pieces. We finish the conversation with a hint at Nicholas's forthcoming Venice Biennale coverage. So Nicholas, you're in Rome right now. Yes, I am. And I, <laughs> I can't complain about it. Nice way to end the, I'm sure, hectic school year at Columbia. Yeah, it's been such a great respite afterwards. I'm still kind of following up on projects. I, I feel like I have five projects I'm juggling at once. So I'm kind of half working, half on vacation, but the vacation part is definitely weighing out over the work part. And I'm so happy about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, being in Rome makes everything easier. It does. It does. Yes. So as you know, Ed just arrived at the Archonnect uh, headquarters here in LA a few days ago. And unfortunately, you haven't had a chance to hold it in your hands yet. But I have to say it turned out even better than I was expecting. Looks and feels beautiful. The bold red cover that Folder designed in its shiny glossiness is just... Uh, I don't know, breathtaking is, is a word that I would like to, uh, that I could use. So I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. I, I can't wait either. I, I wish that there was a distributor in Rome and that's something I guess we have to work on, but I can wait, I guess, but it, it looks beautiful. It is. Yes. We do need to uh, find one in Rome. The distribution business is a bitch, I have to say, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, we're, yeah. <laughs> we do have Ed in many, many shops around the country and around the world. Those are all listed on, on the stockist uh, page of the Ed website, which is ed.archonnect.com. So maybe we can like jump right into this issue, the, uh, the architecture of disaster. So you conceived of this theme. What drew you to this topic of disaster? Well, I guess this has been something we've been formulating for a while. And you start looking around right now, and there are so many things happening in the world. When we were formulating that issue, there were storms hitting the Southeast, but there were also floods hitting Southeast Asia. There was droughts affecting Africa, which are still persisting. There's the refugee crisis, which is ongoing. There's a Syrian war. There's the rise of the far right. There's all these things. I mean, the list goes on and on. And after a while, it starts to feel like there's just this one total disaster facing the world. And I think in, when you do conceptualize it that way, you get to an impasse. And that impasse can prevent you from actually thinking critically about what to do. And what I'm interested in is how architects approach disasters in complex ways. There's kind of something funny, I think, about the title. It's the architecture of disaster, which implies a singular thing. But in fact, what the issue contains is a myriad responses to the myriad disasters. In fact, what it does, I think, more than try and kind of and this is something that I found sometimes you see in certain strains of architectural thought that try and deal with the issue of disaster, which is what even is disaster, is that you can easily get into kind of a, a doom and gloom thing where everything is just bad, just totally, totally terrifying. But what interests me is that you see architects who kind of face up to either on the one hand, very material realities that you see with some of the projects that we showcase, they're responding to earthquake disasters, for example. Or on the other hand, people who are kind of reconceptualizing what it means to live in this time period in the face of all these kind of complex 
realities. So that was something that I guess I was noticing that uh, architects were starting to more and more deal with, I guess, what you could call crises, disasters in the world. And I wanted to produce an issue that could deal with that in its complexity and represent that complexity. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious because you're the one that that really poured through all of the submissions and the questions and the feedback from both the solicited contributors to this issue, as well as the submissions through our our open call. What kind of response did you notice? Were people addressing the issue of disaster in similar ways? Do you feel like the prompt was interpreted in a diverse way or did you have to steer people into alternative directions? What, what was the response to that? What I intended with the response was actually, uh, with the prompt, was followed through in the responses, which was I wanted to have whatever kind of was produced in the imagination by the idea of the architecture of disaster. And I wanted that kind of like very different paths that were produced by that to be exhibited. So for one, you have people who find the architecture of the disaster to be kind of like the omnipresent reality of homelessness in the city. And that's, that's the disaster. That's the architecture of disaster for them. On the other hand, you have people who, who think of it in kind of a much more literal sense in terms of a, like an ecological crisis or a natural disaster, a singular event. And so what was intended with the prompt actually, I think, was followed through in the responses, which was really exciting for me. Are there any ways of interpreting disaster in an architectural way that you feel like we didn't address that you wish we could have addressed in this issue? I know that, you know, we when editing a print publication, there are limitations in terms of length and size and a number of variables. So, I mean, I, I'm wondering if if there were any themes related to disaster that you wish we could have addressed. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, about two years ago, this is just one example, we put together a competition, you and I, mm -hmm. um, about droughts. And drought yeah. is completely absent in this issue, which is something that's interesting. And there's many kind of like, especially with natural disasters, certain natural disasters aren't figured into it. There isn't necessarily something like about the political far right, which is something that I kind of was hoping for maybe when I produced the, the prompt. But now that I think about it more and more, I'm I think the question of what an architectural response to that would be is something that's kind of, it's deeply complex and should be thought through, particularly when you consider things like the question of monuments, but that doesn't figure in. But at the same time, I think from the get-go, it was always going to be fragmented and partial. There's no way that we could kind of touch on all the, I mean, for lack of a better word, bad things happening in the world. And so what I kind of was interested in more than being comprehensive, knowing that that was going to be impossible, was the kind of things that you might not think were disasters that became conceived of as disasters. Interesting. Well, yeah, I think the content in this issue really covers a wide diversity of perspectives on this theme. Maybe you can share a couple highlights, a couple of your uh, pieces that maybe affected you more personally, editorially. Yeah, I mean, totally. So from the essays, there is a really incredible, strong amount of essays and interviews. Luis Casanovas Blanco, who is a writer and architect and curator based in New York from Barcelona originally, he conducted this really brilliant interview with an expert, a New York-based expert on homelessness, Thurman, who was originally responsible for legislation to create homeless shelters in New York. And it's a really kind of thoughtful, probing interview that kind of nimbly avoids the kind of what I, solutionism, I guess. And that's something that to be talked about more generally is the issue tries to avoid what I think is a kind of commonplace theme in architecture 
which is to kind of say that architecture can provide easy solutions to really complex problems, you know, like by building a little structure that is, you know, extremely expensive to make and nobody is ever going to make, all of a sudden that's dealing with homelessness. But I think that there's actually much more complex ways of considering the relationship between built space and something like homelessness that, for example, in Blanco's interview gets to. Another really kind of fascinating essay was Colleen Tweets. Uh, Colleen, it's actually a, a short fiction. And I thought it was just, I don't want to necessarily give it away, but it's it kind of sets this mood that really stirs the imagination, really kind of puts you in this strange place. At the same time, it's a speculative future, but it is hauntingly reminiscent of the present. There's these aspects of the present that come through and make you think all of a sudden, maybe I'm living in this future that is so dystopian that she's portraying. Uh, yeah, I love the fact that we could include some fiction. Me too. It's something I'd like to continue to do. I think it's a really fantastic way for architects and architectural thinkers to engage with material. And yeah, I was really excited to be able to include her piece. Alan Ruiz uh, wrote a really fascinating, fantastic essay about the financialization of the city. And that was another thing that I thought was an interesting response to disaster because it's it's kind of it's the dominant mode, that dominant economic reality of our cities is that buildings are increasingly financialized. They're a means of speculative investment in real estate. Real estate becomes a way for financial institutions to basically turn in his kind of framing, it's an alchemical transformation of the city into capital. And it's a really brilliant, elegant essay. And then in the as we did in the first issue, we have essentially two parts that coexist. We have the essays, the text, and then we have like a magazine. And in the magazine, there's a really fantastic interview by Joanna Kloppenberg with Cooking Sections, who are a London-based duo. And uh, their work explores ecological realities through food. And yet they do it in this architectural way. And so they're juggling all these like kind of different things at once. They have very, very nuanced way of understanding things. The project they talk about in particular, it looks at this island in Scotland that there's been over harvesting of oysters and in general, a kind of environmental degradation. And so they come up with this architectural structure that sits in the water and creates and, and serves to kind of cultivate oysters during high tide, but then when it drains, it becomes a setting for dinners where they prepare food that is locally sourced. And they kind of, what they'd want to do is they kind of use food to engage with the kind of relationship between humans and their environment that is really in flux right now. And so rather than necessarily saying this is like a good way to deal with it or a bad way, they're like, we are living with a changing environment. How do we change alongside of it? And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that's a really interesting piece. And I'm I'm a little bummed that we weren't able to use, in my opinion, the best photo from that because it just wasn't high enough resolution for print. But we can post that, that photo in the in the show notes for this podcast. So if you want to check that missing photo, you can go online and, and see it on the web. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that'd be a great thing. It's a beautiful photo. And it just was slightly slightly too few pixels. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very difficult decision because the photo is amazing, but we just didn't want to, you know, not give it justice by by displaying it in its intended resolution. And then uh, I guess another really fantastic one was Ariel Kane, who is part of the forensic architecture team based mm -hmm. in London. And his looks at afforestation practices, which is it's an interesting term that I wasn't familiar with. But it's essentially the use of planting forests as a political tactic. And in this case, it's used by the Israeli government 
to kind of cover up the traces of what used to be Bedouin settlements. And by doing that, they're able to kind of encourage the use of their own settlements. And it's a really fascinating project. I think what forensic architecture does in general is some of the most cutting edge, fascinating work today. I think they were just nominated for the Turner Prize, in fact. Yeah, they've been doing some really great work lately. I mean, including that nomination, uh, but they've been in the news quite a bit. So they're definitely a, uh, a group to watch. Oh, 100%. And then also, I think the built work is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. We have some really, really great, beautiful, on the one hand, projects, but they're also incredibly thoughtful responses to what it means to deal with kind of unstable environments, earthquake-prone areas or flood-prone areas. And they're ones from Japan and ones from Thailand, and they're really fascinating projects, I think. Yeah. So there's a wide range, and there's also more content. Tons more content. Tons. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really a rich compilation of, of pieces that you don't typically find online. This is the reason we're doing this this print project. This is the kind of medium that we want to archive this kind of content in. So check it out online and get a copy. And this issue will be in, in our stockists soon. And I haven't updated you, Nicholas, recently, but we are getting close to launching the new Archonnect Outpost, which we have barely mentioned. So this is one of the first mentions of that, which is going to be opening up downtown in the Arts District. So stay tuned for a lot more information on that. And you have recently also opened up a, would it be called a pop-up? You know, I don't know if we call it a pop-up. We call it a store, actually, an architecture store. It's somewhere between a gallery and a retail space. There's a bookstore, but it's really kind of a immersive experience in some ways. It's in a apartment in Manhattan's Chinatown. And it has, it features the work of nine practices, international practices and American, all of whom are research-based architects and none of whom build, but all of whom produce design objects, which in some ways kind of reference their research or are part of their research. And we place them throughout the domestic environment. The space is called domesticity and it's available to be seen by appointment. And all the works are for sale. One of the major things that we're trying to deal with or expose on the one hand, we're just trying to display this really great, fantastic work and expose it to a larger audience. But we're also trying to bring up into conversation the reality that this type of work, these research-based practices, like so many kind of cutting edge architecture practices for the past few decades, it's incredibly hard to sustain these practices. Their work doesn't really fit the mold of art necessarily. It doesn't accrue value in the same way an artwork would. So it can't necessarily just be popped down into the middle of an art gallery. On the other hand, it's not necessarily so easily commodified that it fits into a store. So we're trying to bring out the fact that we need to generate a conversation about how we support these practices, which I think are incredibly important and rich and do so much for the field. So that's my little plug about that. That's great. I'm actually going to be in New York tomorrow. So you need to, uh, after this conversation, you need to let me know how I can book an appointment. Yes, I will. And also, if anyone wants to, it's info at domesticity. And that's D-O-M-E-S-T-I dot city. It's kind of a funny URL, but domesticity dot city. I'll be bringing some copies of issue two so that you guys can stock those if you'll have them. Oh, 100%. That's perfect. Great. So I guess for those of you in New York that are looking for a copy of uh, Ed Issue 2, you can head over and, and book an appointment at Domesticity. Yes, please do.
So before we end, I'd also like to just mention that while you are in Italy, you're going to be making your way to Venice soon, and you'll be covering the Biennale for Arconnect. Any teasers about what you are most excited about about covering or yeah i mean this is my first time going to the biennale so I'm, I'm really interested to see what it's like i've done a lot of research in the past on biennials and exhibition culture so i have a particular interest in it i think this year's theme is is kind of interesting the curators are grafton architects from ireland and i think in some ways you know people might disagree with me but i think you can see if you look back at the history of the biennales there's an oscillating trend where you have kind of, you have more explicitly political biennials, and then you have ones that are kind of more formal. And two years ago was reporting from the front, curated by uh, Elemental. And that one was pretty explicitly political in some ways. And this one, it seems like will be more formalist. And so I'm really interested to see how they do that. On the other hand, the pavilions are, some of them are taking very political routes. The US pavilion, which is curated by, well, in particular, there's a, it's a group of three curators, but our friend Mimi Zeiger is curating that, one of the curators. And that one looks at, it's called Dimensions of Citizenship, and it looks at questions of architecture's relationship to citizenship today, which I think is a very on-topic topic. topic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very interested to see how, what they do with that. I'm really interested in the Dutch Pavilion, which is curated by Marina Otero, who did the After Belonging exhibit at the Oslo Triennale, actually with Luis Casanovas Blanco, who's in ad number two. And that one looks at the status of work today in the age of automation. And I think it's going to be really, really compelling. So those two are really at the top of my list. I'm really excited to see what they've produced. But there's a ton. The Chilean Pavilion is supposed to be fantastic. The United Arab Emirates is exhibiting for the first time. The Israeli Pavilion seems very interesting. I have my list and I'm excited. I I think it's going to be intense. (laughs) Any thoughts on the Vatican's representation at the Biennale? You know, I I haven't looked too much into it, but now that I'm in Rome, I was just at the Vatican the other day. So I think it's interesting that that little couple, like what is it, like a mile square area gets a pavilion, but we'll see what it is. I was raised a Catholic, so maybe my perspective will be skewed. Yeah. Recovering still. Yeah, I'm recovering. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Well, it was great catching up with you, Nicholas, and hopefully see you soon. You're going to be coming to LA this summer? I'm not sure. I hope so. I hope so. If not, I'll be there for Thanksgiving. Well, enjoy your time in Rome and we'll be in touch soon while you're in Venice. And you'll actually probably see our newest member of the ArcNet team, Shane Reiner Roth, who just started actually this week. He's going to be representing a group of students from MIT at presenting a project, which I I believe is called Swamp. And he's also going to be covering the Biennale through social media for Arconnect. So amazing. And there'll be Joanna Kloppenberg, who's our deputy editor at so we have a we have an Arconnect team. Yes, yes. I'm glad you mentioned her. She was I'm sure invaluable to the production of this latest issue. She worked very closely with you, I imagine. Yes, very closely. She's my uh collaborator with adjustments agency. So we have a really good working relationship and she was very helpful. She's very insightful and a great editor. So it's great that we have her on the team. Yeah. Very excited to have her join us. All right, Nicholas, great talking to you. I know it's late in Italy, so I'll let you go and stay tuned. Everybody check out Ed and watch out for our upcoming uh, Biennale coverage. Yeah. So good to talk to you, Paul. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll consider supporting quality architectural journalism by picking up a copy of Ed for you or a friend. 
You can buy it online at ed.arconnect.com. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about this podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, ArcSessions, or with hashtag ArcConnectSessions. You can also reach us by email at connect at arconnect.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Thanks again, and talk to you next time.